for some architects, you know, each project's a fresh piece, sheet of paper and a new idea. And but for me, it's been a, a sort of gradual, you know, and each project kind of leads on. You discover something and it kind of moves on by increment. Uh, and, I, I, you know, it, it, it has changed over the years, but, 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 but you know, there's been the common themes which have run through it. And I don't think, I think probably if I'm having the same conversation now, you know, probably 10, 15 years later with whoever it was at Agri West, I'm not sure they could, they could say that um, because lots, lots of things, uh, it's, they've been, it's, it's, it's kind of, um, it, it's developed to a point where I think it would be hard to say that. Episode 148. This is the business of architecture. Welcome back, Architect Nation. This is the show where you'll discover tips, strategies, and secrets for running a profitable and impactful architecture practice. If you aren't already on the Business of Architecture email list, you're missing out on the valuable, free, practice-building resources I share only via email. Getting on the list is simple. Visit businessofarchitecture.com and click the green Join Today button. I am your host, Enoch Sears. To get more profit or efficiency in your firm, check out this business tip from Peter Drucker. What's measured improves. Now, I found this to be so true, and as a firm owner, you must be tracking your financial key performance indicators. One of the easiest ways to do this is with a software application like ArchiOffice. Get a live walkthrough of the software by visiting ArchiOffice.com demo, and a big thank you to ArchiOffice for supporting this show. Welcome back, Architect Nation. Today is the second part of last week, which was the interview by Ryan Willard of British architect Peter Barber. Now, I hope you love that interview. And if you remember a few episodes back, I introduced architect Ryan Willard, who's the principal of Thinking Hand Studio based out of England. Now, as I mentioned before, the audio of this show isn't quite up to my high standards, so please forgive that, but I'm sure you will find that the content is golden and that Ryan has done an excellent job. Now, as I mentioned, he's going to be interviewing. This is the second half of the interview with British architect Peter Barber, who's doing some incredible work. You can check out their website at peterbarberarchitects.com. Now, after you listen, give me your feedback. Should we have Ryan on to do more interviews? And if you want to do an interview or two in your local area for the show, let me know. Now, here's the second part of Ryan's interview with British architect Peter Barber. And it's interesting that you're starting to talk about the relationship with the media. How's that? Has that ever been something you've consciously gone out, gone after, and tried to to use? I think or I it... probably have, uh, um, uh, and, and people have been interested in what we've we've been doing. And um, which, well, having said that, the first project was this, the house in Saudi. The first the biggest project, the house in Saudi, which I still think is a really lovely project, and I couldn't get it published. And they said the, the photographs weren't good enough, stuff like that. It's very difficult to get it rephotographed. But um, uh, yeah, I have worked pretty hard at that. Uh, and I maybe there's subconsciously it's about some sort of ego thing, but um, maybe it is completely about that. But I, I I think I've also felt that we've had some ideas which I'd like to be able to share with people, mm. really. And um, so um, we got Doris's place. I managed to get some decent photographs, and I, and I got um, Tom Dykoff. Right. Yeah. Uh, who then was writing for the Guardian, and there was a little Guardian supplement they used to do, and he put it on the front of that. And I remember, round the corner from um, Doris's place, which was a very lo- low budget project, there was a a second hand car um, dealership, which and there, there was I used to live around there, and I used to walk past it every day, and it said um, 
um, champagne motoring at lemonade prices. <laughs> and they're saying to, as we walk past on the way to the chief, Tom or whoever it was, um, you know, maybe it's champagne architecture at lemonade prices. And so that kind of, you know, was what he put. And I, and, and I would also use the expression about Doris Pace, some kind of souped up minimalism. There was a minimalism going around at that time. Yeah. Um, very, very uptight. And Doris Place had these kind of slightly Baroque kind of flourishes. So I kind of characterised as being souped up minimalism. But I like the, I like talking about architecture and I like words and I like um, writing about it and I like trying to be a bit provocative. Yeah. And um, the media is somewhere to do that. Yeah. And, and with your work, it's always, but it's so clear what you're about. There's, there's always a kind of integrity and an authenticity to it, and you know what you know what Peter Barber Architects does. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I remember um, Phil coming in one day when uh, Gemma was working um, for um, um, Studio Agro West, and and uh, they'd said um, one of those guys from Studio Agro West, and he said, oh, just a one-trick pony. <laughs> but there is an extent to which I, I'm very terrier-like, and um, I suppose maybe the practice has been like that. And just very focused on uh, what I think is important. And um, I, I, for some architects, you know, each project's a fresh piece, sheet of paper and a new idea. But for me, it's been a, a sort of gradual, you know, and each project kind of leads on. You discover something and it kind of moves on by increments. Mm. Um, uh, and, I, I, you know, it, it, it has changed over the years, but, 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 but you know, there's been the common themes which have run through it. And I don't think, I think probably if I'm having the same conversation now, you know, probably 10, 15 years later with um, whoever it was at Agri West, I'm not sure they could, they could say that um, because lots, lots of things, they've been, it's, it's, it's kind of, um, it's developed to a point where I think it would be hard to say that. Yeah. You know, the materials and, and, and um a whole bunch of other little projects and, and ideas have kind of emerged, but they are, it is sort of incremental and additive. Yeah, I don't. And also, you're sort of beginning to have more diverse types of clients, and yeah, I mean, although I was, I was explaining about um, the Tanner Street project this morning, and in Tanner Street, um, it was a it was a building where there were three big slab blocks embarking, creating a lot of problems at ground level around a, an area which was an important sort of place that people walk through to get to Barking Town Centre and I found myself saying to a group of students this morning if I was doing that project now I wouldn't be knocking those buildings down I'd be right. working with them and even if it meant sort of cutting the end off or slicing a hole through them I'd be dealing with the, the ground and what's going wrong at ground level because I think that's where it was going wrong and I'd be trying to keep those for, for um, both you know, sort of social continuity of, of a community in those buildings uh, but also the ecology of just knocking down a free something really big, you know, I wouldn't do that, take, you know, I wouldn't. it may be one would arrive at the conclusion it was the right thing to do, but I'd, I'd interrogated that a lot more now, a lot more now, so things do change, and, and the sort of emphasis has changed. Yeah, so you're sort of the way you approach things has kind of evolved and, and Yeah, and I think the teaching has allowed that to happen. I mean, the things that people were interested in talking about when I first left college, the, the, the areas of interest and debate mm. and um, what people are saying has, has changed several times. Um, you know, when, certainly when I was in my degree, there's a fascination with sort of technology and high tech and the work that people like uh, Norma Foster and people were doing. 
and then you know the, the sort of suddenly uh, urban urbanism and urban form became uh, you know and i suppose that was as postmodernism kind of took hold and an interest in the city and um, streets and things like that and I remember um there was now Varro Caesar show on at the architecture station which I went to see and that was like sort of everything changed for me there as an architectural sort of and, and there was um, Louis Barragan sorry it was Louis Barragan actually and it's everything that um, the simplicity that um, my then boss Rogers wasn't doing it, was sort of, it could, could all be encapsulated in a wall or a, a shadow on a wall or something like that yeah. and then you know the I remember the debate at college became a great deal of, about ecology and sort of landscape and things like that. And, recent, and you know, jumping ahead a long way, it's, it's become about sort of the relationship between the city and, and the countryside and you know, rural interest in rurality and things like that, which is nowhere before. So, to be involved in education has been really important. And where do you where do you see that conversation evolving to next? Where would you like to be going well, into? Well, uh, you see, the thing is, I'm a copycat. I'm a magpie. And, um, you know, I, I go to college, and it feels like I go to college, you know, as a student, and I, I get far more out of it than I can put in. And there are people there who spend seven days a week thinking about, around reading what people are talking about, and, and I tend to go along and, and find out. And I, and I think, you know, within the studio environment, um, Ben's very good at this as well, incidentally, but because we teach together still. Um, I find it interesting to sort of try and find a form, a, a, a formal response to these ideas, to, to see what the implications for, you know, perhaps an urban structure, or there were lots of our projects in urban scale these days. Yeah. Um, so lo- lo- lots of academics writing about stuff um, who aren't necessarily designers. Um, so it's very useful to be able to kind of add that sort of skill with a pencil and a. Um, how, how do you find that this academic conversation, the ideas, mm. how do you communicate that with, say, your clients or developers who perhaps have less of an interest in the architectural thinking, but mm. how do you translate those ideas into a, into a language that they understand and ultimately they see value in it? Or do you? Um, well, sometimes it's, co- you know, sometimes it's covert and sort of, you know, but... More often than not, actually, the type the type of um, the type of writing and academia and and ideas that I like are really rooted in everyday yeah. things, you know, um, here and now. You know, I, I think there are, there are there are other sorts of people who who you know write very poetically about things and who are perhaps more utopian in their thinking, but there are other people who, you know, their sleeves are, they're not in an ivory tower at all, you know, their sleeves are rolled up and they're thinking desperately about what's going on in society in London right now and, you know, what on earth we can do about, you know, the sort of city that's being built in London at the moment. Yeah. What, what other, you know, is there another way of doing it, which is more, you know, so, and Ben in particular is like that. So, it's been very sort of helpful and informative. Um, and, and, but actually, it depends what sort of clients you have, because um, lots of our clients, and, and it's becoming easier in a way, because lots of our clients now come to us because of the sort of 
things that we've uh, that I've been saying over the many years. So we, we're working with lots of local authorities. Yeah, uh, we do lots of work with private developers as well, but lo- lo- lots of people in local authorities have an interest in their, their, their remit is broad, and so they have an interest in making the finances work, but they also have an interest in making their borough, whether it's Greenwich or Enfield or Camden, better. You know, they're there to actually make things better. And, you know, Camden, fantastic case in point. We're doing a project on a housing estate at the moment where um, the conclusion had been reached that the whole thing should be knocked down and that everybody should be sort of scattered to the wind. And, uh, you know, the, the community which has grown up there over now 50 years or more, since the 60s, should just be all, you know, uh, because this, this, the building is substandard. And, uh, and we've worked with residents, it became apparent they no way do they want to leave, you know. So, the, so what's going on in a lot of places in London, Elephant Castle, Haygate, everywhere like that, uh, one is aware of, partly because of the media, but also the academics really kind of into that and wanting yeah. to finding out the, the sort of, you know, and so one feels pretty confident about um, saying, we need to keep these buildings. We can do things to um, weave in new housing around it to help fund the sort of improvements to the estate and to actually improve the public domain, the public environment, because there are shortcomings. But to work with the existing building. And um, when you've got somebody, if you had a private developer, they might just go, well, you know. But um, you know, if you've got the right client, they have a sort of moral, ethical, you know, sort of political. Um, interest which is not a million miles away from what we've got you know yeah so it makes it easy we can it's quite easy you've, you've attracted a sort of like-minded yeah that client it gets you... easier i mean the, uh, and the, but the other part of it is actually that you develop sort of technological tech, uh, technical solutions so when we first got up the other big break for us was getting donnybrook yeah and um that sort of followed on from the Haggerston estate because the, all these ideas which over a period of a year were developed for Haggerston which had found no, didn't come to fruition at precisely that point somebody said well we want, we want to do this um, there's this competition going on I thought oh it's another competition, not going to do that it's just another talking shop another, another somebody else trying to promote themselves as being you know uh, running a competition which is good for, for ideas and architecture but it will never get built Eventually, I thought, oh, fuck it, I'll go, go for it. And we won it. And um, the problem there in, in coming up with this idea of these 50 units double-stacked of very, very narrow streets is that um, we'd never resolved any of the technical issues about, you know, how you get a fire engine in and, uh, right. you know, disabled access and, you know, rubbish collection and uh, overlooking distances and all of the stuff which comes with that kind of project and, and we did work our way through it logically and by great determination and by getting some really good you know people around the table and because it, ultimately the client wanted it to happen circle 33 housing um, now when we you know we have the, we have the answers to all those questions and we you know it means that we can make the streets even narrower and the you know density even higher and, and but we've got you know so in lots of ways it's got, got has got easier yeah and in that, those sort of that technical language that you now have, you're kind of you're more confident in being able to use it and spread it around. And 
Yeah, I mean, uh, it's but also you know we've got you know more people in the practice, so you know between them they've got the skills and the sort of background and the understanding to be you know better than I could have been on my own, really. Yeah, and with Donnybrook, you're saying it's a it's a competition. Is a lot of the sort of housing work that you do now still competition work, or is that something that you shy away from? More? Well, there's something peculiar has happened for us and rather wonderful about. A year and a half ago, we've been working over, over. One of the problems you alluded to earlier is how, as a small practice, you get work. I just talked about um, you know, the connection with Jessica and March. I think it's a useful way of, you know, if you've got friends who work for a bigger practice. Uh, <coughs> um, but one of the big hurdles for a small practice is to get onto what's called a framework. And in London, most public commissions are dealt with. Through, through frameworks and um, you know in the old days you used, you used to be able to just tender for a job and it was a kind of pretty much a financial thing but now there is so many it's a corporate it's connected with a corporate culture there are so many um, boxes that need to be ticked in terms of your fulfilling certain in my view arbitrary requirements mm. and irrelevant ones in order to be able to reassure people uh, on the client side that you can deliver a project um, and so um, uh, you need so if you want to work for a local authority you have to be on their framework and that means you have to fill out those reforms which demonstrate you have a certain cash flow a certain profitability that you have you know health and safety policy which is you know being rubber stamped by some you know consultant and, and it's all difficult stuff for people who don't have a lot of time on their hands and are working to tight budgets, but we um, and we tried to get on loads of them unsuccessfully over over a decade. Wow. And Carrie, who worked for us, did tons of them. You know, one year. <laughs> they almost made her insane. Um, but two or three years ago, the the GLA set a framework up, and we got a slight sense from the way they'd done it that they were going to do it in such a way that didn't discriminate too much against smaller practices, and that if they wanted you to be on it, they'd find a way of getting you on it. And so we, we went for it, and it you know it took thousands of hours, and therefore tens of thousands of pounds to do it. And again, you know, drove Phil Hamilton in particular, you know, half to despair. But it it came up. We got on it, and that has meant that. And what's happening is that um, that framework is being used by lots of local authorities to uh, procure work. Right. Um, people who would like to have worked with us but couldn't just hire us, they can go to this framework and they can say, well, you've, you've fulfilled all these requirements, we can work with you. Um, and so we're working now with Greenwich, with Enfield, these are boroughs, yeah. Grenfell, Greenwich, Enfield, Newham, Camden, um, and talking to other others. And you know, each of those is talking about 20 or 30 sites of varying different sizes. So a whole world of project is opening up for us. I mean, was, um, well, we're on it. We're on it just by, you know, very, you know, and it's taken us 10 years, and but it's led, leading to all this work. Um, so that's, that's you know, and, and it's just brilliant, you know. It's, it's interesting, isn't it, that you were saying that was, oh, that sounds like a real big push to mm. actually get onto that mm. framework. Who were the kind of competitors that you had in terms of, like, the size of the practice mm. and, the, and their resources? Yeah, yeah. 
Well, I mean, lots of the practices are bigger than us, but there were some small ones as well. So I think there was somebody at the GLA who has been staring these sorts of people in the face for years that are, are these massive corporate practices really giving them, I was going to say value for money, but it's in itself very corporate. Friend. But are they actually any good as yeah. designers, you know? And if you've got somebody lighter on their feet, more creative um, with ideas, you know, then something magic can happen. And um, so somebody somewhere arrives at that correct and good conclusion. Because it's, it's interesting, isn't it? Because every practice has, has that sort of, that break into the next next level. So a small practice, mm. you know, that you're looking for your first clients or you're mm. looking to mm. break into uh, a framework agreement or, or so forth. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I suppose in the course of this conversation, I've realised there have been some quite pivotal moments, whether it's winning Donnybrook or... Marion Lewis wandering into whatever, but I was kind of, in such, some extent I did really kind of realise that just lovely, just moments where a whole, you know, a whole decade kind of just pivots on a. But I actually think you know that's a way of talking about it, which is quite sort of uh, entertaining. Yeah. But I think actually it's a it's a long game. It's a very long game, and just being sustaining effort um, is part of you know the, the, these little moments happen. But I think just sort of ploughing on, you know, uh, has been a really important part of it. Now, when we won, um, actually, when we won Donnybrook, uh, I, th- I think the judges knew it was us who'd done the project because we'd had published, un- unbuilt, unbuilt project published. So, and I think so they thought, they knew that when they selected that project from 150, it was, it was it, perhaps they felt it was our, t- our moment, you know. Yeah. Um, so it didn't just come out of the blue in a way. And um, all those other little moments came. I remember when I did the, the house in Saudi Arabia. I'd been drawing that house for years, and I always had this actually, actually, I always had this fear of somebody saying, "Could you design this for me?" And, and my mind just going black, a bit like an actor going on stage. Yeah, and yeah. I wasn't, and I was going to be given the most fantastic opportunity, but I wasn't going to be able to come up with something good. Uh, I don't have that fear anymore because I think I've by just constantly drawing I still draw all the time sketch come up with ideas think about things teach there's I'm constantly sort of trying to bring new ingredients in mm. uh, so I never think oh shit sheet of paper what am I going to do now yeah and there's so many um, formal ideas but also sort of um, sort of say, political theoretical conceptual ideas floating around that it's never kind of it never feels scary excellent great i think that's a quite a good place to to leave it thank you very much peter and that's a wrap for another show about the business of architecture if you enjoyed today's show please go to itunes and leave a review there are two reasons to do this first of all it encourages me to continue making free content like this for you to run an awesome practice and secondly It helps others to find this content inside of iTunes so that they can benefit as well. Remember to get free resources for running an architecture business that is both fun, flexible, and profitable. Visit businessofarchitecture.com and click the Join Today button to unlock your free account to Business of Architecture Insider. As a member, you'll have access to free tools and resources to help you get more clients, boost profitability, start a firm, and much more. This has been the Business of Architecture. Everybody knows that you just gotta do it anyway
views expressed on this show by my guests do not represent those of the host, and I make no representation, promise, guarantee, pledge, warranty, contract, bond, or commitment, except to help you conquer the world. Bump music credit to Ben Folds 5, Do It Anyway.